be with you today. My name is Jason Gamble. I'm the equipping pastor, and um, I was running around at the beginning, so Adam had to do the welcome again because I was making sure our small groups were good to go. I hope y'all were able to make it into one of our grow groups today. If you haven't, um, we are back, and we are every week seeing more and more people coming back to our grow groups. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, we have them at 9 and at 1030, and um, so we'd love to have you join in with us anytime with our grow groups. We have them for all ages, so uh, check those out on your way out. You'll see the signs on the doors, tells all the times and places, and also at the end of the hallway. Some of the data has changed, so if you have questions, um, just email me, call me here at the church. I'd love to help you get connected and help you find your small group. We're also looking in the future, believe it or not, in the middle of all the crazy we've had, to hopefully start some new groups too. So if you check them out and you try different ones and you can't quite find your home, talk to me about it and let me know. We'll pray about it and we'll see where we can be starting because we have some, some great teachers that are not currently able to serve because we don't have enough small groups for them. So we'd love to be able to get them doing, doing their part and serving the Lord and um, using their gifts. So we'd love to help you connect with that too. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit in the first chapters of Acts, but we're going to camp out at Acts chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus Christ, he, he gives us a relationship that's truly like no other relationship that we have in this world. You know, relationships are, are sometimes a funny thing. They can affect us in so many ways. They can affect us in good ways. They can affect us in bad ways. Um, some of you might look back and know some relationships that, that probably affected you for the worse. And sometimes they can be sort of indifferent at times, but there's always effects. Sometimes those effects, we don't even realize that they're coming up. When I was growing up, I, I attended school at Charlotte Christian School. I grew up in North Carolina. And so Charlotte, if you're heading up I-77, right in the middle of the state. And I grew up in a little town called Monroe. Most of you probably don't know where Monroe is, but Monroe is to the east of Charlotte, about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the traffic these days. But it would take me a good 45 minutes to get to school back and forth each and every day. Well, in Monroe, we were kind of out in the country. And then I went to school in a place called Wingate. Now, if you're not from there, you'd call it Wingate. But from there, we call it Wingate. So, so I, went to, I went to church in Wingate. I lived in Monroe. And then I, I went to school in Charlotte. Well, Monroe, like I said, is kind of out in the country. Wingate is even further out in the country, out getting into the soybean fields and the tobacco fields and out into the corn. So we're getting even further out. But when we were in Charlotte, when we went into the city, it, it was a different kind of world at times. In Charlotte, it was very much a melting pot from all over the United States. I had classmates that I graduated with who originally were born in, in Minnesota and in Tennessee, and they were born up in, in New York. And so people came from all over to Charlotte. Bank of America, or Nations Bank at the time, was really starting to grow and, and really build its base right there in Charlotte at the time. Things were growing and booming, and lots of different people were coming to that area. So in Charlotte, it, it became kind of this interesting mesh of, of people coming together. So even though we were in the south in Charlotte, we didn't talk like we did over in Wingate. Now, in Wingate, we liked to, you know, we, we were good old country boys over there. I, I'd probably even say I verged on redneck at times, you know. It's the one time in my life I really loved country music a whole lot. You know, it was, it was the country. We were out there, and those were the guys I went to church with. Those were the guys I went to youth camp with. And that's the, that was my youth group on Wednesday night. That was my church. But then on Monday through Friday in the daytimes, I'd be going into Charlotte. Well, somehow, without realizing, I started doing this thing. It's called code switching. It's where your voice changes based on who you're around and who you're talking to. And I do it now. I'm probably doing it right now as I speak. You know, if you were talking to me now, but if me and Adam are cutting up in the office, I might talk different because Adam's from Greer, right? Or, or how do they say it over there? Greer. Yeah, he's from Greer. So he's from Greer, and I'm from, you know, Monroe. So we're going to talk like country boys sometimes too. So we, we would just slip into that. It's called code switching. It's where you talk one way around another. I'm not talking about bad things we say or bad jokes or bad words. I'm not talking about that kind of talking one way. But we just kind of change over into a different part of speech or a way of speaking. Whereas if I'm up on platform, you know, up on the platform on the stage, I've got to speak clearly so everyone can hear me. 
and that Charlotte Christian talk kind of comes out a little bit easier. It, it, I kind of code switch into that direction. Well, I didn't realize I was doing it until the summer I came back after my freshman year. Apparently, I'd picked up enough Charlotte ver vernacular that I could be able to speak clearly like a Charlotte, a Charlottean, as they would say. I could speak like one of them during the school year, but every time I'd go home for the summer between my 9th and 10th, my 10th and 11th, and my 11th and 12th, I'd come back, and then it would never fail. One of the guys would be like, oh, here comes Gamble from Monroe. He's coming back to school because I was the country boy. I, I didn't think I was the country boy. I mean, I lived in Monroe. I didn't live out in Anson County. I lived in Monroe, you know? It wasn't like I was way out there in the country. I, I just thought I was just, you know, a kid just like anybody else. But I talked differently. Give me a few weeks, I'd start talking like them again. But I had spent the whole summer with my youth group. I'd spent the whole summer with my friends in Monroe or down in Winget, and we just talked like good old country boys. We listened to country music, and I didn't think, how would I talk if I was at Charlotte Christian right now? We do those things sometimes, and we don't even realize that it's happening. Those relationships have an effect on us that we don't even see happening around us. And, and those can be neutral. That was, I'd say that's a neutral thing. Learning how to speak eloquently is not a bad thing. You know, it's good I picked that skill up. Maybe not so good that I can switch too far sometimes. But you know, it's good that we learn those sorts of things. They can have a positive experience and a positive impact on us. Other times, they're going to have a negative experience on us. But those relationships, whether we like it or not, they're going to affect us. And, and they're highly influenced by the amount of space and the amount of time we give to those relationships. The more that we are with someone... And the more time we spend with that person in close proximity, the more effect they're going to have on us. Just basic logic. There's other factors, of course, but those are two that I want to really hone in on because what we see here is we see a testimony of these guys in Acts chapter 4 who had had a relationship with Jesus Christ that had affected them like no other relationship they had ever had. These were men who had grown up on fishing boats. I'm sure they had some interesting ways of talking. They probably didn't talk like the elite of Jerusalem. These were men who had grown up on, on the Sea of Galilee, kind of on the backwoods side of Israel. These were men who had grown up around a bunch of fishermen and fishing nets and fish all day long, and that was what their life was all day long. But their life had been changed because of who they had spent over three years with. See, Jesus had called them to follow him. They had dropped everything and left their nets, left their father, left their families, and followed Jesus, and it changed their life. They walked with Jesus. They went places with Jesus. They went to cities like Capernaum, and they went to places like Galilee. They went on that same Sea of Galilee that they had lived on their whole lives, and they had experiences where they saw Jesus stopping the waters, where they saw Jesus walking on water. They had amazing experiences where they saw Jesus bringing the dead back to life, and they heard Jesus preach and teach and say so many great things about the kingdom of God. They had been close to Jesus. They had walked with him. They had spent time with him. They went everywhere he went. They truly became his disciples. Though they, as young men, had not had the opportunity to have a rabbi before, and they had just become the fishermen of their community, they had a rabbi in Jesus, and it changed them. It changed them like no other relationship before had ever changed them. Our relationship with Jesus is the same way. It's a relationship like no other that we have. And, and the more that we are with him, the more time we spend with him, the more space we put in with us, uh, between us and him, the more, the more closeness we keep in our intimacy with him, the more that he's going to affect us. First takeaway I want you to write down or, or keep up with today. You can see these on our app as well. When you have been with Jesus, it changes you. Here in Acts chapter 4, we're picking up on a story of, of what really kicked off in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the leaders of the church, 
um, Peter, who was really the, the head of the church there and, and leading the disciples there after uh, Jesus' ascension or Jesus going back home to heaven. Peter leading the church and John, who was often called the beloved disciple in the Gospels, or at least in the Gospel of John, one who was right there close with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were the three that were often with Jesus in some of the, the big moments of the Gospels that we see. And, and they were ones who had really walked with him, had truly been close to him. And in, in Acts chapter 3, they're walking up to the temple. They're going to the gate called the Beautiful Gate. It's, it's obviously a great place to be going to the temple, and they're going up to the temple to pray. They weren't going there for sacrifice. We don't see an instance of the church coming to the temple for sacrifice after Jesus' death. They were coming to the temple, though, as their place to connect with God, to be in the presence of God, and to spend time in prayer. They're just going to church. They're just going to worship. They're just going to spend time in the temple with God. Well, on the way there, it wasn't uncommon for poor people or hurt people, people with disabilities, to be along the way asking for alms, asking for gifts from people who would be willing to share. And so in Acts chapter 3, we see that as Peter and John are coming, there's a man who's crippled. He hasn't been able to walk his entire life. He's 40 years old, and he's sitting there near the gate, the beautiful gate where they were going to. And it says in Acts chapter 3, um, verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He asked for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. These people had known this man. They had seen this man for many, many years, sitting there waiting to receive something from anyone who would be gracious enough to share. And this man on this day had received something better than silver or gold. He had received healing right there that day. He was able to walk when he had never walked before. But not only did he receive healing, but he was healed in the name of Jesus. Peter, in faith, said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And in faith, that man took his hand, trusting in the name of Jesus, and he stood up and began to leap and walk through the temple. Amazing things were happening that day because two men took steps of faith. One man reached out in faith to another, and the other man responded in faith to Jesus Christ. And amazing things were happening, and lives were being changed, and it was undeniable what was happening. Well, in Acts chapter 4, we find out that not everyone in the temple was happy about this. The, the temple rulers, they heard what was being said. They heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and some of them didn't like the idea of resurrection for anyone, much less a spiritual leader who they thought that, that they were being accused of, basically putting to death. And they didn't want anyone to hear this. They didn't want anyone to, to talk about this or hear this within the temple. So they take Peter and John, they put them into prison overnight, they keep them there, and the next day they bring them together to question them. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 8. In verse 7 and 8, the, the leaders, the high priest, and the rulers of the temple, they call Peter and John in, and they call them and they ask them this question in verse 7. They say, by what power or by what name did you do this? So like I said already, it was very clear when he called out to the man, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I call you to rise up and walk. So that was the question, the core of the question they wanted to ask. By what power or by what name did you do this? Join with me in verse 8. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they sold the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The point I gave you was that when we've been with Jesus, it changes you. You look at Peter and John, and you see what the people commented about them. They looked at Peter and John, and what did it say they saw? In verse 13, it says they saw their boldness. They saw that they were uneducated. They were common men, and they knew that they had been with Jesus. When people look at your life, do they see a life that's been changed by Jesus Christ? When people look at your life, do they see something that's different than the world around them? When they look at your life, do they see an opportunity to see, hey, there's, there's hope there. There's, there's boldness there in their faith. There's a faith in Jesus Christ that goes to the truth in the heart of the matter. Peter and, Jane, Peter and John here, they were preaching to the people and they called out and they said, you ask how this was done. This was done by the name of Jesus Christ. And they go even further in verse 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They're echoing what Jesus had told them in John 14, 6, when he would tell Thomas and his other disciples, he would say there, he would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Take a look at it up here on the screen. In John 14, 6, it says that Jesus is the way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I call this, I've, I look at this as Jesus' uh, funeral message to his disciples. If you go back and look at John 14, he's talking to his disciples, and they are grieving because they don't understand what's coming. And he's telling them to take heart and to realize that, that he is victorious and to realize that he's going to prepare a place for them. And Thomas says, but Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we believe that and trust that and know that, we realize that we have a message that is unlike any other message this world can give. The world wants to say there's many ways to God. The world wants to say that one way is as good as another. When I was a college student, I got into a conversation with someone. They asked what my major was. I was a religious studies major. And, I, and, and the one thing I got to tutor in college was I got to help somebody out in Greek the first semester. I basically helped catch him up to where I was, and then he, he excelled and ran past me. But I got to tutor somebody in Greek because I was a religious studies Bible major focused on that, and that was my foreign language. I didn't take French. I didn't take Spanish. I got to take Greek. Well, I was in the tutoring center one night, and somebody says, what are you here tutoring? And I said, Greek. And they're like, what? We have Greek at this school? I didn't even know we had that. Yeah, it's biblical Greek. Yeah, I'm tutoring somebody in Greek. Why are you tutoring somebody in Greek? So I tell them, you know, well, I'm a religious studies major. I feel called to the ministry. I'm following the Lord's call on me, wherever he's leading me, whatever he wants me to do. They're like, you believe all that? And then somebody who's there, one, man, one boy, he's like, hey, I've never really followed that stuff. The other girl, she said, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really think he'd be the only way. So I took them to John 14, 6. And the, the young lady, who was about my age, who said she'd grown up in church but couldn't understand how Jesus would be the only way. She just kept saying, I just don't think he could be the only way. So I explain, I say, well, look at this verse. It says, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and then no one comes to the Father except through me. And the basic question at that point is, what do you think it's saying? You know, it's saying that Jesus is the only way. She's like, I don't think that's what it's saying. The boy who was with her who didn't believe, who really hadn't grown up in church, he's like, well, it seems pretty clear that's what it's saying. 
I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some people want to say, yeah, Jesus was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. He's a great example for life. But surely he didn't say he was the only way. I mean, sure, there's lots of ways. What about grace? What about mercy? He showed the grace and mercy. Many have said that how merciful would it be if Jesus was the only way and he didn't tell us the way that we should go? Jesus told us he's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He showed us great mercy in that he made the way and then he made it possible for us to follow the way and to follow after him. And Peter and John, in that same boldness in Acts chapter 4, are standing up and saying, we've got to tell you the truth. You asked us a question. Who did we do this by? Whose name was it? It was Jesus. And there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. Jesus Christ changed them. And if you don't believe me, if you think, well, well Peter and John, they were good guys. They were great leaders. You know, they had always been this way. That was just inherent in their DNA, right? They just, no, they weren't. They weren't always there. Peter made some major mistakes, and I like Peter because I make some major mistakes sometimes. Peter would just just goof up. He would put his foot in his mouth and say some of the goofiest things. I mean, at one point, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And some say Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter raises his hand. He's first in the class. I say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you among men you're you're going to be the rock that my kingdom is built on it's that faith that you've got that i am the one that i am the messiah that this message came from god not from man peter you got some great information but in the same passage jesus goes on there in matthew chapter 16 and calls peter satan in the same exact passage when you read it because Jesus starts to tell them what's going to happen. What does it mean to be the Christ? What does it be, mean to be the Messiah? He says, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to pay the price and the sacrifice for sin. And he explains it to him. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, that can't happen to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. So the same man who could cry out and say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, was also called Satan by the Savior. He made mistakes. The same man who was bold in the graveyard or in the, in the, I'm sorry, in the garden when Jesus was being arrested who would pull out a sword and cut off a soldier's ear was the same man who just hours later would be denying Jesus by a campfire when he was questioned by a little girl. Peter made mistakes. Peter didn't get this boldness on his own. This didn't come naturally to Peter. Now, John, he seems like a good guy. I mean, he's the beloved disciple, right? How, I mean, it's got to be great. I mean, Jesus asked John to take care of his mother on the cross and, and to, be his, to, be his, uh, to be his place, his surrogate son for his own mother, for Mary. Well, John himself had his own foibles. I mean, he had his own problems. His, his mom would come to Jesus one day and say, hey, my boys, James and John, I know that they're special. You always take them and Peter on up the mountain and do special talks with them. I know they're special. James and John, when you come into the kingdom, I'd like for them to sit at your right and your left. And off in the side, there's James and John kind of waiting to hear what's going to happen. John, he had his problems. John was the one that when they went through uh, Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't open the door to Jesus, he said, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven for this? You know, they had seen some amazing things that God would do through them. And he's like, why don't we just call down the, the fire and brimstone right now on these Samaritans for not letting you in the community? John would, would get ahead of himself. He was misguided at times, but something had changed. What had changed for the disciples, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but what had changed for them was that Jesus Christ's power and his work had changed them. It had changed them in amazing ways. They had his Holy Spirit working within them and changing them to live their lives for him. Question for you is, how have you been changed by Jesus? And how are you willing to let that change go to others around you? We live in a time right now where personal evangelism has got to change a bit. 
In many ways, our churches, the way we do evangelism is invest and invite. You may have heard that term in some churches. We don't say it as much here, but, but we train you and encourage you. Hey, bring your friends, encourage your friends. We have events like Trunk Retreat, and we have big events where we try to encourage our neighborhood to come out and be a part of what we're doing, and we try to reach out and bless our community. And we want to invest in people, but we want to also invite them to hear the gospel. Well, we're in an interesting time where some of the things we've always done with evangelism may not work the same way. You may invite someone to come to church with you right now, and they say, I'm not going to church. I haven't even been in a restaurant yet. You think I'm coming to church with you? Or maybe on Monday night, you know, our group goes out, and they'll sometimes follow up with our guests who've been to church. They'll knock on their doors, go and knock, and have a moment just to talk with them, share some information. If somebody comes and knocks on your door right now, how do you feel about it? If you don't know them especially. You don't know where they've been. You don't know who they've been talking to. You don't know what germs they might have. It's a different kind of time. It's a different time where some of us may not even be comfortable to sit in a restaurant with other people and come face to face with them. God's calling for us to find ways to reach out and to show the change that he's put into us, to, to live out. In 1 Peter three fifteen, it says to always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have or for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer for the, the hope that you have. And in large part, if people are going to come to Christ during a time like now, it's going to take every one of us living out the changed life that Jesus Christ has brought in us to show the hope that we have. Just like Katie was talking about, that we truly can say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I surrender COVID-19 to you. I surrender this job to you. Lord, I surrender it all to you. And Lord, I want to live and walk in your hope and your peace each and every day. And Lord, let that shine so that people see the hope that I have. And when we're changed like that, people are going to ask questions because when they're worried, when they're stressed, or when they have questions, we have an answer in Jesus Christ. And when that change shows, that change points them to Jesus Christ and leads them to know him. So how have you been changed by Jesus? Maybe today you're here and you haven't been changed by Jesus. What steps do you need to take? We're going to talk more about that. The next point I want you to see here in Acts chapter 4 is when you have been with Jesus, you have a story to tell. The, the, the people were questioning, the rulers of the temple were questioning James, and, I'm sorry, Peter and John. I keep wanting to say James. He's usually in the picture. He wasn't there that day. But Peter and John, they're questioning their, them there in the temple. They're asking all these questions, and they kind of have a side conference, and they say, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we, we don't want this taught. We don't want this continuing, but we can't hold them today because look at what is going on. If you go back and look at verse 14, it, it says again that the man who was healed was 40 years old. He was 40 years old, had never walked a day in his life, and now he's jumping and singing and praising God. He was 40 years old, and now his life has been changed. They said, we can't let them go or hold them because of the people. We've got to do something. So they say, okay, well, let's just call them in. Let's tell them, don't do this anymore. Don't preach in this name. Don't teach in this name. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. We don't need to have this trouble. Let's just tell them to, to just be quiet. Let's tell them to, to just move on. Pick up in verse 19. After they give these instructions, they call them in in verse 18. It says they called them, they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When Peter and John were told to not speak in the name of Jesus, they said, You've got to be the judge. We don't know whether you think this is right or not, but we've got to decide for ourselves. Do we obey you? Or do we obey God? Do we follow you? Or do we follow the one who has saved us? The Spirit gave Peter and John the words that they needed to speak, and they had to obey the Spirit. Over in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, we see that Jesus had told them not to fear the day when they would be questioned. 
He had told them that the day would come when, when they would be called in and they would be persecuted and called to task for what they preached and taught. And in Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, we see that Jesus has said this day would come. And it says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Peter and John were living these verses out in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were fulfilling what Jesus said would happen to them, that the day would come, they would be questioned for their faith and for what they preached and taught, and that they would have the boldness and the, the confidence to defend themselves because of what the Holy Spirit would tell them to say in that very hour. And on that day in Acts chapter 4, they spoke up and said, we have to obey God rather than men. We've had a time over this last year where we've had choices to make. Where do we, where do we fall? What do we obey? And thankfully, our choices have been simple for the most part. It's been, do we wear masks or not? We've got the gracious ability here in Georgia to be able to come and gather and worship and to try to do it wisely and to do it well. And we've got the freedom to do that. But there are states in our own country where their, their freedom to assemble or their freedom to express their religious views have not been upheld the same way. We have had a blessing in this country for over 200 years to, to freely express our faith and to freely come together as believers that in many ways is being challenged right now. And, and I think sometimes we've taken it too much for granted. I've been to places, I, see, I have seen places where it's difficult to come together and worship. I know churches where they have to write down their attendance roster, not just for their database, but they write it down so that if the government comes by, they can report on who was there on Sunday. I know people doing this each and every week when they meet together. I know of places and of missionaries who've been in places where you're limited on how many can come together because they don't want you to get too big for the government. They don't want you to get too big for what they would consider to be authorized. We are blessed in so many ways that we have probably taken for granted, but the day may come where we are told, do not preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Do not say that Jesus is the only way. And when the day comes, would we be willing in the power of the Holy Spirit to say, you've got to decide whether it's right or wrong, I guess, because you're the, you're the ultimate law in this land. But for me, I've got to obey God rather than men. This goes beyond civil disobedience. This is truly saying my obedience is ultimately to God and following after the Savior who's changed me. They had a powerful story in Jesus Christ and what he had done for them. And they weren't going to hold back. They said, we can't help but talk about what we have seen and what we have heard. Over three years walking with the Savior, powerful work that God was doing within the church, amazing miracles they had seen firsthand, and now they are firsthand to doing the miracles that God himself, through Jesus Christ, had done here on this earth, that Jesus, as he walked, God made flesh, would do these amazing things, and now they're getting to do them through the power of the Spirit. So we can't help but talk about this. You want us to shut up now? We can't do it. We can't obey you instead of obeying God. We have to stand for those things. You know, a personal story has so much, uh, so much connection and so much power in so many ways. You know, you may have an uncle or an aunt or, you know, an old, old grandmother that you always wanted to hear those stories that they had to say. The stories that they told you, they just meant so much to you. You wanted to hear about the old days or you wanted to hear how it was. I mean, my grandpa, he would tell us stories about what it was like to be a 10-year-old boy hanging out on a tobacco farm, hanging up tobacco up in a tobacco barn. He'd tell us stories like that or what it was like to work at a, at a furniture plant up in Lexington or Thomasville, North Carolina. He'd tell us stories like that, and we'd hear the stories. And, and often, even now, I, over Christmas this past year, or even this, this summer when we were home, my parents got to tell stories, and there's new stories I've never heard before, things that I never really remembered them talking about before. You know, those stories can be so valuable to, to look back and to see where your family's been 
And, and even to see, to look back even more to see God's faithfulness through it. I, I look at my life and I see my story and I see that God's been faithful through so many ways. My dad, before I was even born, was a, a grocery store manager for the Gamble's grocery store chain. And, and I've wondered before, had my father not surrendered his life to the call of ministry that God had placed on him, had he not surrendered his life in salvation to Jesus Christ, where would my life be right now? We see the story that God is unfolding and the work that he's doing, and those personal true stories have so much power. For Peter and John, their story was powerful because they had walked it. They had lived it. The more they spent time with Jesus, their story became real, and they had a story to tell. So question for you is, do you have a story to tell? Your story might be your story of your salvation, of where Jesus has brought you from. And, and maybe, maybe you were saved as a kid, but you've seen him continue to work in your life throughout your life. Your story might also be a story of God's faithfulness. During a time like now where you see people around you who are hurting, asking questions, who have so many questions and doubts, the story that God might want you to share first is a story of how he's been faithful to you at a time when it seemed like all hope was lost. Your story is powerful. Your story can bring people to a place of faith as they trust in Jesus Christ, the one who changed your story and has made your life brand new. Who are you sharing that story with and what story do you have to tell of God's faithfulness, his love, and his great mercy? Last point before we finish up is this. You can write it down. When you have been with Jesus, it changes the world. I want you to see what had happened even before Acts 4. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we find out that there after Jesus had left his disciples, he had told them to wait until the day when the Holy Spirit would come. And in Acts 1.15, we find out that there were about 120 believers together. Though many people had followed Jesus, many people had been taught by Jesus, and many people even called themselves disciples, when Jesus had returned to heaven and left his disciples here on this earth, the number that was together at the beginning of Acts is about 120. Well, fast forward about 40 days, and on the day of Pentecost, the disciples, the apostles, the believers, those 120, maybe a few more, but about 120 people had come together to, to pray and to seek the Lord. And on that day, the day of Pentecost, after that time of prayer, the Holy Spirit came down on these people. The Holy Spirit came on his church that day. They saw a vision. They saw what looked like tongues of fire coming into the room. And each one of them began to speak foreign languages that they didn't know. And they couldn't understand themselves. And they started to all speak it at the same time. All the disciples that were together, together there on the day of Pentecost. And they started going out into the street and, and basically singing, preaching, teaching in other languages that they couldn't even speak themselves. The Holy Spirit did an amazing miracle to catch the attention of the people there that day. And the people started to say, wait a minute, why are they drunk? It's too early in the day. What's wrong with these people? This is ridiculous. What happened to all these people? Where did they come from? And Peter stops them all, calling out, probably in the Greek, the language that everyone would have understood. And he calls to them, begins to preach, and tells them the message of Jesus Christ. On that day, People turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It says, so those who received his word and were baptized, they became baptized, a part of the church. On that day that were added were about 3,000 souls. Now, 120 is a large church. I mean, we, we will have 200 or so on a Sunday right now, maybe 150, 200. 120 is a pretty good-sized church for most churches. Um, yes, there's more medium and large churches and mega churches out there, but majority of our churches in the United States, 120 is a good Sunday. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. We have a lot of logistics around here on a Sunday morning. We've got greeters, we've got team members, we've got teachers, we've got people all over the place. But if we went from 120 to 3,000 in one day, we'd have a lot more logistics to figure out. 
I mean, they had an amazing amount of church growth in one day to go to 3,000 people who were saved and added to the church that day. But it didn't stop there because in Acts chapter 4, we read that when this man who was crippled from the time he was born, when he was healed, that on that day, that even more people were added. In Acts 4, 4, it says, but many of those who heard the words of Peter and John as they preached in the temple, many of the people who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, key point here where it says the number of the men, we often, we interpret this just like we do the feeding of the 5,000. There it says the number of men were 5,000, not counting the women and children. You can also estimate the same because as the men came, many of their households did too. Scholars estimate that by this point, as we've gone from 120 plus 3,000, now plus 5,000 men, not counting the women and children in their families who would have come with them, the church has now grown to probably over 10,000 people in just a matter of a couple of months. Amazing growth and increase is happening. When you have been with Jesus, it changes the world. Sometimes the question for me that I ask is, as believers, if we follow and trust after Jesus Christ and we truly have been changed by him, why do we not see more of this? Why do we not see this amazing revival of God happening among us? And, and how can we see God do this in our midst and among us to see this exponential growth? Earlier this year, we started trying to find examples of exponential growth, trying to explain what exponential growth was. It all came about because of a little virus called COVID-19. It, it grows exponentially, we were told, over and over. It, it's going to grow exponentially, and they have a hard time explaining it. The simple math is, you know, one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16. That's the simple version, but it's not always at that constant rate. It can go at different rates. And when you look for examples of, of exponential growth, I did this this week. You look for examples of exponential growth, most of them are bad bad things like COVID-19, viruses, bacteria. If you put bacteria or microorganisms onto a petri dish, they're going to grow exponentially. These sound like great things, right? Great things are just exponentially growing. You know, uh, population growth can be exponential. If you don't believe it, go get a rabbit farm. You'll find out. Every 30 days, you can have a whole new flock of them, you know, a whole new litter, and, and you can have, you know, exponential growth multiplying right in front of you. You'll have so many rabbits, you won't know what to do with yourself. So exponential growth can be some amazing things sometimes. Cell phone usage is an exponential growth. Over the, since 2005, basically, it's exponential growth of cell phone usage. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that, that could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. But exponential growth. Exponential growth is hard to quantify. It's hard to understand sometimes. About the only one that really was I'd count a positive would be compound interest. And right now, none of us are getting any of that very well. But I like compound interest. It's where you get your interest, you get your money on the interest you made, and then you get a little bit more, and then it grows exponentially. Its rate's a little too low right now, but we gotta, we got to see about that. But that's about the only good one I could find. Well, here in Acts, we see a great example of exponential growth. This was a positive thing for the rulers and the people in Israel who didn't want the church to thrive. They saw it as a bad thing. But from God's perspective and his people, it was an awesome thing. This is a great example of exponential growth of how God was taking a small body of believers, the people who were left after Jesus had died and risen again, and he took them, he changed them, and he multiplied them as they reached the people around them. But it wasn't just the work of the apostles. It was the work of God and his Holy Spirit within them and the work of the church. Because as you continue in Acts chapter 4 and into chapter 5, you find out that the people of God were coming around, his leaders and the people there, they were praying that not just the apostles would be bold, but they were praying that they would all be bold. That they would be bold with their faith in the face of persecution and opposition, that they would be bold in their faith that they would be willing to stand for what Jesus Christ had done in them and be willing to tell that story even when it was difficult. 
I'm not sure that we're always at that place yet. I think sometimes we, we speak well for our rights, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that you know, our country's founded on people who spoke for their rights and wanted to affirm those rights and, 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 and justify those. But I want to make sure, too, that we as believers are ready for the day when our rights are not upheld by our laws and that we're at a place where we can say, I'm going to obey God over you, and I'm willing to stand with Jesus Christ even if the world stands against me, if that's what it comes to. It was an amazing miracle that happened. Many people were saved, and the response of the people was so great that they had to release them. They had to turn them loose that day. But you'll see in chapter 5, they, they imprisoned them not many days later. But it was that prayer for constant boldness to continue in the face of adversity to let the change of Jesus Christ impact the world around them. The question for you is, what can God through, do through you? What can God do through us when we let our relationship with him overflow to the world around us? Not just keeping it within us, but letting people know, hey, I've got a story to tell. I, I see you're hurting, and I just want to share with you what God's done in my life and how he spoke to me or worked in my life at a time when I was hurting. Or I truly believe that you need a Savior, and I want you to know what it means to, to follow after Jesus Christ and to trust in him and surrender to him. We've heard stories in the past of people who have led to the faith of others and how that faith has multiplied the impact of the kingdom. One of those common stories that we often hear is the link between a man, um, a man who was named, let me make sure I get it right. I got a lot of details on this one. I want to be sure. Stories are good if you can get them right, if you can do them well. So I want to make sure I get this one right. A man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, back in the early days of Sunday school, Sunday school wasn't just about um, Bible study. Sunday school was also about helping kids who had to drop out of school at the age of eight to make sure they could read and write and be able to get a job. He was a Sunday school teacher who would do that, who would also help people and kids and help them to read and write, but also be able to, to pour into their lives the gospel and to share with them the gospel. Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, led a man, a young man named Dwight L. Moody to the Lord. Dwight L. Moody, we call D.L. Moody most of the time, would go on to become one of the greatest evangelists of his time. He would lead many people to Christ, and he would lead crusades throughout the United States and throughout many other places, and he would go so far. And the story goes that he had led to the conversion of a man named J. Wilbur Chapman. Actually, Chapman, um, Chapman had become a believer before he ever met Dwight L. Moody, but he came to a meeting in the late 1870s in Chicago where D.L. Moody was, and it was at that time that D.L. Moody would take him aside and be able to open the word with him. As Chapman had questions about his faith and he wondered if he was truly a believer and had doubts about his salvation, D.L. Moody, this evangelist, would take time to sit with him and open the word and just encourage him that it's faith in Jesus Christ alone that, that brings us to that place of salvation. Chapman himself would have an impact on others, though some have said that he was the one that led to Billy Sunday's uh, faith. It actually wasn't. Billy Sunday was another evangelist who had been a baseball player. Billy Sunday was saved one day at a street corner meeting held by the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. That's where he got saved. But it was Chapman who, for a brief time, would bring him on as an assistant, and he'd work with him to organize revivals and evangelistic meetings and help people to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday himself would be a great revival preacher. He'd lead many people um, to the Lord. He's the one that when we talk about getting on a bandwagon, he was the one that they came up with it for. It was originally because that's how they preached. They'd set up a bandwagon. And when the, when the people in town would turn away from their sin, when they'd give up their liquor or whatever that they were focused on and ju go jump up there, they'd jump on the bandwagon. It was originally said as a derogatory term, but it was a great thing that people would just jump up there and say, I want to be saved and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Well, Billy Sunday would also be a, uh, 
he would be a contemporary with a man named Mordecai Ham. Some people think that he led to Mordecai Ham's salvation, but he didn't. He actually was a contemporary with him. And, and they both were teaching and preaching and leading people to, to give up the ways of uh, the, the world that they were following and to trust in Jesus Christ. He wasn't, Mordecai Ham, though he wasn't converted at a Billy Sunday meeting, Billy Sunday had an impact on his ministry. Because for him, Billy Sunday held an evangelistic campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think you've heard of that place. Charlotte, North Carolina in 1924. And here's where the story gets really cool for me. I like this. In 1924, after that revival, there was a group of men from that group, from that revival time, who said, you know, we need to get together to pray for the lost in Charlotte. And we need to get together and have a weekly prayer meeting like some in our own community do. We need to get together and have this weekly prayer fellowship group. And, and so they originally called it the Billy Sunday Layman's Evangelistic Club. There's a mouthful. But then it eventually became the, the Charlotte Businessmen's Club. This group, they would partner together. They would pray for change within their community. They would pray for the gospel to be heard and proclaimed. And this group would bring a man named Mordecai Ham, Mordecai Ham, this revival preacher, to Charlotte in 1934. They would be the ones who organized these meetings and brought them there. These group of businessmen, they weren't revival speakers, they weren't evangelists, they were businessmen, and they got their community together, the men and women of Charlotte, and they said, let's bring Mordecai Ham here. We had Billy Sunday uh, 10 years ago, let's have Mordecai Ham, and it was at Mordecai Ham's meeting that a man named Grady Wilson, along with his friend, Billy Graham, would walk the aisle. Grady Wilson came to make a deeper commitment to the Lord. Billy Graham came to surrender his life to Jesus Christ and to turn his heart over to him. And we all know the story of Billy Graham, and we grew up seeing the impact of Billy Graham within our own community. What I like about this true story, rather than just a short version of, hey, these guys got saved at the revivals, is to see that the kingdom of God was working throughout. To see that God's people were working from the beginning, from a Sunday school teacher, from businessmen and lay people coming together, from, from revival speakers who, and preachers and teachers who would take the time to disciple someone else and to work in their life, that God was working through all of his people, the men and women of God who followed after him, to do amazing things. And for every generation, thousands and thousands and eventually millions and millions of people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, and the gospel would be proclaimed around the world. Imagine if you were that Sunday school teacher and you were able to see the impact that one life could make, but also see the greater impact that all of these together, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, and the story that they had to tell of Jesus Christ and how he changed them, how it changed the world around them. When we trust in Jesus Christ and we follow after him, he can change the world. I pray that within our own community that we'll see this happening. Next Sunday night, we've got our everyday missionary gathering. And as we come together, we pray for our community, beginning, like we talked about last week, with our own block, with our own neighborhood street. We pray for our community. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers, the people that we go to school with or the people that we, we go to the Y with or go to the soccer field with, the people that we're going to interact with at the grocery store. We pray for them, but we also want to be ready and able to share the story that Jesus Christ has given to us, to say, hey, before Jesus Christ, this was what my life looked like, and he has changed me. He took me from a place of, of fear. He took me from a place of despair, uh, of doubts, and he changed my life. He gave me a hope and a purpose, and now I can say that he walks with me each and every day and then I could follow him for the rest of my life. We want to give the clear story of that to the world around us. We want to be able to say, hey, if, if it weren't for Jesus Christ, I don't know where I'd be because his faithfulness has brought me through it. It's not by any power of my own, but it's, it's the work that he has done. And we've got a story to tell. 
next Sunday when we meet, we're going to be talking about that. And if you've never been a part of our everyday missionary gathering or initiative, come and be a part of it. That's what it's there for. It's for you to catch, catch into it and check it out and see what it's about. We'd love for you to be there, to be able to see what it is that, that God wants to do. The questions that I've left you with today were this. Have you been changed by Jesus? Do you have a story to tell? And what can God do through us when we let our relationship with him overflow to the world around us? Ask yourself those questions today. You may be here today and you don't have a story for Jesus. You don't have a story of what he's done in your life. Today can be your day of salvation. Just like we've been talking about the last few weeks, that today can be the day you make it clear and you can settle it once and for all to know that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you want to do that, if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you. We'll be down here afterwards. Adam, myself, and others will be around. We'd love to talk with you more about it. But it comes down to simply trusting and following, just like that man who was sitting by the road to say, hey, I trust in Jesus Christ. And if he has the power to heal, he has the power to deliver us from the sin that keeps us in bondage. Maybe today you're here and you haven't yet clarified your story. You don't know how to carry it to someone else, how to share it. We want to encourage you in that too. Pray about the story that God's given you and just find a way to simply share it. It seems like there's two topics in this world we avoid talking to to anybody if we don't want to have a fight. It's religion and politics. We're at a time when we probably don't need to talk politics, but the world around us needs to hear about our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have a story to tell, and God's calling for us to step up and be a part of that story so that others can hear. And we don't yet know what God could do through a simple testimony of one of us in the week that we have ahead of us. Adam's going to come and play for us. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we'll sing. But I want to encourage you, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, take the time to do it today and to seek him out. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to get into your word, to see the testimony and the picture of Peter and John and the challenge that we get from it. Lord, help us to have that same boldness. Help us to have that same, I want to say fearlessness, Lord, but truly it's just the power of the Spirit. Lord, help us to live and walk and, and function in your power and through the power of your Spirit on us to see you change us and make us into who we weren't before, to make us into your witnesses, to, to tell others of the great things you have done. Lord, help us to, to have a heart for it, to see the people around us who are hurting, to see the people around us who need to hear you, and give us the wisdom and the know-how to be able to just speak up and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Let me tell you just a little bit about what God's done for me and how Jesus Christ has changed me. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms we have. We know that we are blessed. Help us not take our freedoms for granted. Lord, help us to fight for those freedoms as long as we can. But Lord, if the day ever comes that that freedom does not give us the freedom to freely choose to follow you and to tell others of you, Lord, help us to be willing to stand with you, to obey you over everyone else. Give us that type of boldness that only comes from your power and a changed life through Jesus Christ. We thank you for time in your word. We thank you for time to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.